0: The goal of the Salumas podcast is simple. Take a candid, objective, and often comedic approach to the human condition. In keeping with this, the use of expletives, crude humor, and references to harsh realities are commonplace. If you find any of this to be offensive, please throw your listening device in the trash. If not, enjoy the show.
1: We are back for another episode of the Sulumis Podcast. This is Kalu. This is Chris. This is Brandon in the background. And today, um, this is going to be a continuation of our addiction episode. So uh, we have a very, very special, very awesome guest. And she looks a little bit nervous right now. I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Uh, My name is Lauren. And I am not an addict, but I am a family member of an addict. Good, and my good. husband, Tommy, was on here a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he was discussing his uh, life with addiction and the things that he'd been through, and uh, we've been married for, it'll be 13 years in September. That's too long. It's been a long time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the cutoff point is what, nine years, and then you're like, no, no, Jeez, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a long-ass time, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm playing. Um, So... As, you, Brandon as Brandon Brandon eats gingerly plucks a piece of melon melon <laughs> melon Mel. don't this isn't some asmr don't do that um, i love it <laughs> so you know one of the the reason why i wanted to have you on here is that i don't believe enough people talk about the stories and and tell the side of the spouses and the loved ones and and friends or whatever of people that are going through addiction or or suffering from it or whatever you want to call it Um, even, even the people that are telling the stories, I don't think they even realize even, even just telling how, how much sometimes it hurts. And so what I wanted to do is, is get your point of view and, um, you know, Tommy kept it pretty raw on his end and, you know, you tell it as comfortable as, as you want. Um, and hopefully we come up with something really nice. Again, the the premise of our podcast is to put really important things through the grinder. And if you like sausage bacon, anything like that, the process there of making it's pretty disgusting, but uh, the end, the end product is something really, really good. So I'm hoping to be able to do that with you today. Um, So let's just start from the top. Um, One of the things I've always thought is that women are receptive as hell to everything. Um, And so I feel like you guys have this sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth. Are you messing with my mic, bro? Oh, okay. You guys have this like sixth sense, if you want to call it, where you can tell when some shit is up. And so I want to ask you, is that something that you felt before you really got the actual confirmation that something was up?
2: I mean, I knew that there were things going on, but I didn't really know what was going on. There was definitely issues and red flags that would pop up, but I didn't know what it was. I'd never grown up in a family with active addiction. Uh, None of my my parents had any sort of... I mean, we didn't even drink in our house. They never even opened up a bottle of wine for Thanksgiving or anything like that. Mm. Even when we'd go to my extended family for Christmas, holidays, anything like that. Nobody in my family, there wasn't that black sheep uncle, you know, that had fallen off the wagon and y'all knew he was crazy or drunk or whatever. And uh, we never had anybody like that in my family. So I didn't know what it was like to have a family member that was addicted to anything. I didn't really know what the signs were, what I was supposed to be looking for. I really didn't, like I said, I knew that there were things that were going on. And I just really couldn't put my finger on what it was. And maybe part of that was me trying to turn a blind eye to it because, I mean, who wants to face something like that and and call it out that this is what's happening in your life? But at the same time, I just really didn't know what to do or, you know, how to react to the things that were happening. Do
0: do you think that you, having grown up, kind of insulated from that type of stuff, maybe didn't prepare you in some ways to to see warning signs or, or gauge whether he had a problem yes, or not.
2: Definitely. I don't I don't I didn't have any idea what was going on until you know he actually told me and then it was like a light bulb went off. Yeah, yeah obviously. Sense. Now I can see it. And obviously hindsight is 2020. Looking back now I can definitely I definitely know what was going on now, but at the time. And
0: then the other side of that, like coming from, you know, my family's culture where there's, there's a lot of addiction, uh, mostly alcohol abuse, but um, there's this overarching theme of like being able to handle your liquor. And, as long as you handle business, you can careen as completely out of control as possible. Yeah. So it's kind of the the opposite of that. We tend to not notice somebody's got a problem until they completely crash and burn. Otherwise, we're like, ah, they mm. they've got their shit out of control. They right. just like to party, you yeah. know?
2: Right. And whenever we had met, when we had first started dating, I mean, he he drank all the time, and it wasn't unusual because we were in our early twenties, and I was going through college, and you know, he was he was not in college, but he was working full time. And, you know, it wasn't anything for him to get off, you know, after a shift of work and then pop open a 12 pack. And, you know, at the time it didn't really seem like it was a big deal because he could handle it, um, until obviously there were things that he, you know, he couldn't handle because he had several DUIs mm-hmm. in that period of time. Um, but you know, it was one of those things, um, uh, I guess he never showed that he had a problem because he handled it so well and he was okay. able to hide that so well. So and that
1: was what I was going to ask you is like handling means, I guess for you, maybe just being able to have a normal conversation, having a
2: normal conversation, being able to go to his work, being able to, you know, hold down a job until he couldn't hold down the job.
1: Sure. So describe, describe more of like one of those specific moments like the um you were saying that you you saw different signs and it it didn't pop up until he told you that there was a that right. there was a problem describe one of those moments there
2: there was just he he always has he was always working he always had a job but he had gone through several jobs when we had started dating we worked at the same place and then he lost his job But that wasn't related to addiction. That was through something else. But the other jobs that he was able to get, he could not keep them for a long period of time. And I'd always, whenever I had worked somewhere, you know, I would try to stay there for several years. It would seem like he would get a job, and then within a year, he would lose it. Uh, You know, he just couldn't seem to hold down a job. Um, And I didn't really know why. He always had an excuse for why he couldn't hold down a job. It was never his fault. It was always somebody else's. Mm. You know, and there were other signs, too. Um, Obviously, um, the money was a big thing with us because I would go to check my bank account. And then, like, we had a mutual bank account since we were married. And then all of a sudden... Funds would be overdrawn, there would be money missing, and I had no idea where it had gone or what he'd done in, with it, you know, and he would always tell me that they were for bills or for things that I didn't know about, and um, just, there's there's just a lot of different yeah. things. Um, I don't really know sure. a specific moment, if you will, but it was more like little moments that kept adding up over and over again
1: one of the uh, questions that i asked him on the on the episode and and i was when i asked him that i was really excited not really excited just wondering what your answer would be but i said which one was was better for you or which one was worse realizing that you were an addict or realizing that you were a liar and and he said both but i was wondering initially i was thinking that he would say one thing or the other but what was what was that for you
2: What was the best part? What
1: what was the worst thing? Like knowing that he was an addict or knowing that he was lying to you?
2: Definitely that he was lying to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if he'd been up front with me from the beginning, we could have taken steps to rectify the situation. But after so many lies, it felt felt a little like I'd been cheated on. Hmm. Actually, it felt a lot like I'd been cheated on. It felt like he had chosen this substance over me over our marriage over everything we'd worked for together and it felt like to me that that wasn't worth him seeking treatment for um even though i know now that that's obviously not the way addiction works and nobody Mm. chooses to be addicted and nobody chooses to have something like that happen to them but at the time i was you know, going through a lot of heartache and, you know, we didn't know if our marriage was going to last. And I had a lot of animosity towards him for the things that he'd put me through.
0: Do you feel like that you've gotten better, I guess, over time at separating the addiction from the person, like the things that he did while he was in active addiction, not taking those personally?
2: I mean, it's a little hard not to take it personally, and if I were to sit around and think about it all day, and certainly I'd still probably get feelings of anger and resentment. But at the same time, you can't move forward by doing something like that. It's kind of like having that forgiveness. You know, you have to learn to let that go if you're going to make that choice to move on with Mm. that person. And that's certainly not something I would recommend for everybody, but our situation was unique to us and other people's, you, you know, situations are unique to them. And I would never encourage anybody to stay with somebody who's an active addiction Mm. just to try to make them better or fix them because you can't actually fix them. They have to be willing to fix themselves.
1: So what made you want to to continue to stay together?
2: Well, we actually, um, you know, after going through, I guess it was about five years of this back and forth and this chaos that we were living in. Um, And of course, it it wasn't always bad all the time. There were good times, but it just seemed like the bad ones kept cropping up more and more. And I think it was, um, I think we'd been married for about five years and one day, I you know, woke up and realized he had stolen another check and forged my signature and cashed it. And even though the amount wasn't as big as some of the other times, I had already told him, and I told myself, if this happens again, I'm leaving." Mm. And I made the cognitive decision to finally walk away. Yeah, and I packed up all of my items and moved in with my sister. Mm. and uh, and I left, yeah, because I felt like, I had to. How long
1: were you all apart?
2: Um, it was probably a couple of months at least. I'd say it was, it was one of those things. I just, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I couldn't be with him anymore. And I had to put that distance between us to kind of work on things and figure things out. Um, and you know, I was contemplating on Am I going to seek a lawyer? Try to, you know, because we had a house together. And, you know, there's so many steps that you go through to try to dissolve a marriage. Um, And right in the middle of all that, I found out I was pregnant with our first daughter. Wow. So that's when things became more complicated. Yeah,
1: shit got real at that point, huh? Yeah.
2: I mean, not a lot of people know that. But when we found out we were pregnant, we were actually separated at the time. Really? So you've got this... Normally, what would be a joyous event, and you want to celebrate it together, but I felt like I was completely alone, and and I didn't know what I was going to do.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Were you formulating contingency plans based upon, like, if he's not involved whatsoever, I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z? Yes,
2: yes. I didn't know if I was going to have to move back home and get help from my family. I didn't know if I was going to try to raise a child on my own. I I had no idea what we were going to do. It was it was very scary.
1: Do you and, and again because of the nature of of our podcast, we do ask questions, you mm-hmm. know. Do you think <laughs> not not just we do ask questions, but we we put topics through the grinder and yeah. so like do you ever wonder like if you're still here now and still together now because because you got pregnant while While that was going on. Oh,
2: I know we, I know that's why we're (laughs) together now. I mean, obviously we've chosen to stay together because we love each other. Yeah. But in the beginning, that was the sole reason. Uh, I really didn't know what I was going to do at that point. Um, But at that point, we both made the decision that we were going to try to work it out. And this was still before I knew he was in active addiction. Mm. That didn't come out till several months later. And I'm I'm glad it finally did because, you know, then he was able to seek treatment. But yeah. yeah, in the beginning, we did stay together for that reason because we made an effort that we were going to try to work this out for the sake of our child. Yeah. So.
1: So did you feel like, right, like you were, it seems like there's more pressure where it's more like social pressure and stuff like that. Like, were you getting pressure from outside forces? Like, well, you guys better stay together. Or this is what you're supposed to do. Or
2: I think my dad yeah. had actually called him and talked to him and basically said, "You better get your shit together, mm-hmm. because now it's not just about you and it's not about me either. It's about this this new being, this new child that's you know not even been born yet." But yeah, I mean, sure, there was definitely that. I mean, and you know, I come from a family where gosh, they think, you know, (laughs) other people's opinions are everything. And, you know, it it sucks kind of having to grow up in that kind of scenario because even now, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, well, what are other gonna people think if XYZ happens, you know? So yeah, that that definitely had a a part to play in it too. Who wants it? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, who wants to come out to their family and be like, oh, I'm getting a divorce and by the way, I'm also pregnant and I'm keeping it You know, and I'm going to raise this baby by myself. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just what a hard conversation to have with your family. You know.
1: I think you should listen to more of our episodes. We talk about kindly telling people that you love to kiss your ass. Right. (laughs) Just go and do your (laughs) thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and just and just live your life. You know. It's a. I couldn't imagine what that what that is like. You know. And me being being a a male, I'm just like, oh, you know. If I don't like something, I just get rid of, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like also very, very pro-choice, you know what I'm saying? i sure. just like, uh, well, if you, you, know, if things don't pan out, then it doesn't, you know, just, it's not going to work for me. Um, I couldn't imagine life being in your, in your shoes there. Um, and I want to ask, like, do you still get like, you know, bouts of anger or resentment and stuff like that now?
2: No, I've really, I've had to let all that go and. You know, Describe make,
1: that letting it go, because man, I hold a grudge like a motherfucker.
2: Dude. I mean, it's not something that happened in a day. Yeah, uh, it was. It was something that happened over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a very difficult conversation before I had left. Yeah, I think the day that I told him I'm leaving, it was a very, very difficult conversation to have to try to make him understand. Like when I told him I'm leaving, he's like, okay. I'm like, no, I don't think you get it. I'm actually leaving you. I'm not going to be married to you anymore. And it was, it was very difficult to um, try to communicate that with him. And I, I mean, I said some very, you know, hurtful things, but at the time they were, I meant every one of them telling him, I, I hate you. Like yeah. looking him straight in the eyes and telling him, I hate you. Yeah, I don't want to be married to you. Yeah. I've never been more miserable than I am right now. Yeah. And I'm not doing this anymore. And I making think that decision to leave.
1: You look on it, you look back on it and it's, if if you're happy with where you are today now, that's exactly, you said exactly what you needed to say. Yeah. Everything that was said there, like, That had to happen like that. I think for a lot of people, you don't realize like how, how deep you got to fall. Like you got it. You got to really fall on your face hard. And the thing that he said in the episode that we had with him is when you describe this moment here, I believe, didn't he say that he was, he was coming off of like he got messed up or something like that the night before. And he said that when you told him that you were out, he was just like, oh, where are you going? Like he t- he yeah. he said on the episode, he was like, I had no clue that she oh, yeah. was for real. Like I'm out of here. So it's right. really it's it's just it's crazy to hear just how much more went down. Yeah. And was, and for it, and go on.
2: It was a really hard conversation to yeah. have and it was it was uh it was, it was. It was it was a very difficult day.
0: Yeah. Do you think that in I guess moving forward? And you said hindsight is twenty twenty earlier mm-hmm. moving forward, do you feel like that you might be i don't want to say hyper diligent but more attuned to potential red flags or something like that that might be going on that you think I hope this isn't a stressor that could right. facilitate right. you know right. him thinking about using?
2: Yeah, I mean obviously a lot of the the big issues in the beginning and through those five years were. The missing money, you know, checks that uh, were being forged, and large amounts of money that were going missing, and you know, if you know, we we had to sit down and actually talk about all of those things whenever we were resolving. Uh, when he was going through through rehab, you know, those were some conversations that we had to have, and when he got out, we had to continue to have those, you know, because he had always told me. Before going through the act of addiction, well, I'll never do this again, I promise. Making these empty promises and then breaking them. Mm-hmm. And I remember being with him at the rehab facility, and I'm telling him, I'm like, you've got to make a promise to me that you're not going to ever use again. And he's like, I can't make that promise because I can't guarantee that will never happen. And that was the first time he'd ever told me that. That's honest. And that that's was a good,
0: yeah, yes. a good starting point? That
2: was That was kind of a turning point because... I knew that he meant it at that time and that that's when things, he was actually going through, you know, going through all of the detox and everything. And they were going through therapy as well. And the groups and the Narcotics Anonymous and talking through everything and going through their steps. And I felt like it was the first time he was actually making an effort to change. Whereas before it was all these empty
0: promises. Do you think he would have ever changed if you hadn't, stepped away or you weren't entirely willing to step away, at least in relation to you guys?
2: I don't know. Um, I want to say yes, but I think it was more than me. I think it was more the fact that our, our daughter was going to be born and he made mm. that decision for her. And, you know, I I mean, I hope he would make it for me as well, but I think that was really the catalyst that kind of drove him to... Actually, put forth the effort, go to the rehab, get the help he needed, and I mean, it's been a blessing for uh-huh. sure. I mean, it's
0: well, and and like I'm thinking because you know I have a background in social work. I've been in social work for about a decade, and I used to work for child protective services. And a lot of times, we had situations where the the spouse, the child's mother, would stay even if that meant buffering the addict or alcoholic, the um, we'll say husband in this situation, they would stick around and kind of insulate that individual from as much like outside exposure as possible, trying to kind of prevent them and keep them out of trouble. And from a third person perspective, from me watching from the outside, really that amounted to enabling. Right. So you stepping away And in turn, that that by default, you stepping away creates that understanding that there's something wrong there. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is enough to be like, okay, you're not fit to be in the caretaking role of a child either. So I think that that was enormously formative in you being able to make any kind of step because there are plenty of women that think I have to stay here Mm. Right. Even, even with a child involved, they will think, right. I have to stay here, and they think they're doing the right thing. Especially in the South, man. Right. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of the values that are instilled yeah. in us in the South, um, loyalty, you know, kinfolk, you you stick by your people. You and, don't and, get divorced. You don't do any of this. Yeah. Thing. And, it, and mm-hmm. honestly, alcoholism is very, I mean, it's an acceptable part of our culture down here in the South as well, but... I think a lot of people, I say I say women, but um, men too, will stay in these situations and be trying their hardest and put forth the best intent, but really at the end of the day, it's going to amount to enabling mm-hmm. as long as you're still there. And then the idea of completely throwing down the gauntlet and distancing yourself, that's That's really the point where the individual has to, I feel like, take hold. Because if you're there constantly, they never really have to take
1: accountability for what they've done. Right. Right. Can you describe, uh, outside of just being pregnant, can you describe those couple of months where you were living with your sister and you were doing your own thing?
2: Um, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot. For me to do, I mean, I just kind of felt cut off from everybody and I kind of wanted that anyway because I was going through a lot of turmoil on the inside and trying to figure out what am I going to do from this point. But at the same time, I still had to, you know, go to work and, you know, pay the bills and everything. So I really didn't have a choice to sit at home and feel sorry for myself, even though I might have done that a little bit. You Mm know, I, uh, I still went to work every day and. It was just sort of biding my time, like what am I going to do now and trying to kind of calculate my next move. And then that's kind of, I think I'd probably been there for maybe six weeks Yeah. when I found out, or maybe a little bit less, maybe four weeks when I found out I was pregnant. And mm-hmm. um, that was...
1: <laughs> I could imagine that moment you are like, oh shit, for real? It,
2: that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. I took a pregnancy test and I was like, oh Fuck. Oh, man. I mean, not that I ever want my daughter to think that I'm not grateful for having her. It was just at that point in time, it was like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. How am I going to have a baby? I don't even have a marriage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even feel like I'm ever going to get through this, you know, this personal thing that I'm going through. And now I have to worry about another human being to bring into the world and mm-hmm. all that entails with that.
1: You know, one of the things that you would... <laughs> mentioned earlier, you were talking about image being everything, and you know for me um our family is the same way yeah. you know pride is everything, yep you know it's and it's one of the the best lessons that my that my dad taught me was um we he and I had gone through a time where we didn't talk for a while and um and I came me he said he it brought me up to his office, and he you know he said uh I essentially told him I was kind of tired of living in a shadow, you know, and and he told me, like, I didn't raise you to be like me. I raised you to be better. And the pride thing was was a massive thing. And so the connection I'm making is that when my sister, when she when she was an addict, you know, and I guess you, you, you're you always an addict for life. You inactive right? addiction. Yeah. When she was an right. active addiction, um, pride was one of the worst things for me because it just made it. It wasn't even a thing, and I said this on the on the previous episode. Like, it wasn't a thing about I made it less about your life is potentially in danger because you're using drugs. It was you're making this fucking family look bad. Yeah. Like, I'm tired of having when someone asks, "How's your sister doing?" I'm like, you know, it, it stopped being a thing of me lying, mm-hmm. and then it turned into one of those like, I don't fucking care, whatever, you know, whatever she wants to do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to for me as a as a sibling like i don't and i said this too on the previous episode that like it's it's a rare thing for me to give up on my friends but for me to just completely throw someone in the trash like that and like how easily i did it because i was just so like you know yeah. you're you're messing everything up yeah. like in a in a way in the same way that she is gone through recovery and stuff like that i think that as a family member we have to go through a bit of recovery too so my yeah. question for you is what has that recovery been like?
2: I mean, I know what you're saying completely because when he came to me and finally said, I need to go to rehab and I need to seek treatment for this, I was like, what? No, you don't. I don't really? want anybody yeah. to know. You did not want anyone to I know. I didn't want yeah. anybody to know. I had started a new job at a yeah. at a police department, nonetheless. Yeah. I didn't want people to think maybe I was an addict too. Yeah, I didn't want other people that we knew, you know, knowing that he was a drug addict mm-hmm. and that he was having to seek this help. And it sounds really selfish and shitty of me now to look back and say those things but I told him I was like if you go to rehab I'm leaving you and that was yeah yeah and that was such a shitty thing to say but at the time I was I really was just I wasn't focused I didn't know how bad it was I really didn't know how bad it had gotten even though it had gotten bad with us I didn't realize how much he was taking a day yeah how much he was affecting his body. And it was just, I mean, looking back now, I mean, if he were, if we were to have this conversation again, knowing what I know now, obviously I would be like, yes, of course we'll get you there now, no matter what. Mm. At the time though, it was just, it was that
1: pride,
0: pride.
2: Yeah. What is everybody going to think? Yeah. You know, and, well, and luckily he didn't listen to me. <laughs> and, luckily, <yeah. laughs>
0: and I forget where I heard it. It it was, something on PBS mm-hmm. because I've only got like 10 channels cause yeah. you know, I don't, I don't mess with the cable company, but something on PBS where it was a mother talking about her son who had, um, you know, was in currently in recovery and she talked about pushing through all of the personal stuff, the things that would, that we took personally, the pride element, yep. all of that, th- all of that like collateral damage mm. that the addict facilitates, And she said that something that was very beneficial to her was instead of saying that this happened to her son or this thing that happened to her son, it was more this thing that happened to us. And it was, it affected everybody in this, anybody in the social circle felt the ripples from it in some way, shape, form or fashion. And then that, that reaction that each of those people felt doesn't occur in a vacuum. There's like you said, you told him if you go to recovery yeah then i'm gonna leave you like this, there's bullets flying in every mm-hmm. single direction while while this person is struggling with this illness yeah
1: and you know what's funny is that we um it's very human for us to make any situation about us oh you yeah know, it's a natural going, thing we're always yes. going to put ourselves in the middle of any sort of situation, like how does this affect me? No and, matter what is happening, and
0: we need to get past the the all encompassing notion that the term selfish is negative. Yeah, it's not because
1: sometimes being selfish is the best thing yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, and and if you ever thought that leaving was a selfish thing, I'm here to tell you that was not a selfish thing. That no. was that was what you. That's what you had to do. There's a certain point where you know we also say uh, one of the things we say on this podcast is you know being an active participant in your life. And there's a certain point where when stuff is going on, especially in one of those situations, you sometimes lose authorship of your life when someone else is kind of taking the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And I think that you stepping out of there is you saying like, Hey, I'm taking ownership and and acting
0: instead of reacting. Yes.
1: Acting instead of reacting. You know, did, did Tommy ever have to go? And I didn't ask him, did he have to go to like a halfway house or anything like that?
2: No, he went to a recovery center. It was like a private center Mm -hmm. um, in E-Town, and um, he actually did not complete the full month. He was supposed to be there for four weeks, and I think he went three weeks, and then he basically left on his own accord and came home. But Mm. thankfully, he continued to do what he was supposed to do by going through the Narcotics Anonymous and working his steps and getting a sponsor, and... I may have glossed over this with the last question you asked, but him going through recovery has been amazing for him and for me as well because part of that 12-step program is actually, you know, having accountability for your actions and then talking to people and then, you know, going through, through the things that they, the steps that they, are not the steps, but they have to share the wrongs that Mm -hmm. they've done to you and then try to make those right. So that was, that was very helpful. You know, just having him say, I'm sorry for all these things that I put you through was a big, you know, was a big help.
1: You know, there was, when you had mentioned a place in, in E-Town, I I have a feeling it might've been the same place that my sister went to. But, um, one thing that, that was, man, it, it floored me like nothing else. And, I used to work in E Town, and I remember I went to, uh, I went out to lunch with some coworkers, and we we went to this like it was kind of like a B Dub's type of place, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it was a typical like sports bar. And um, I see, you know, so, apparently in this place they will let you go and work a little bit at a, at any sort of place. So they let apparently they let my sister work at okay. this restaurant. So I had no, cl- I hadn't talked to her oh, wow. in like probably a year, two years or something like that. Yeah. And then here I am sitting with coworkers and I see a a waitress over there and I was like, is that my little sister? And here I am still angry. You know what I mean? And, and she sees me and I was just like, what are you doing here? And like, she, I remember she, um, she froze and she dropped all the food. Oh my gosh! From that she from one of the other tables, right? And the other people were they kind of got like like you know how people are. You you've waited, yeah. you know, you've you've served before. Yeah. <laughs> so the I didn't at, when she dropped it, like I just went over. I didn't even think twice. I just and it wasn't even I'll help people, you know what I'm saying, but it felt like going into like brother mode again yeah and i just went over there and i just started cleaning the stuff up yeah. and so one of the the guests or not guests i'm not a fucking target um <laughs> one of the uh uh the patrons or customers or whatever was just like ask me a question like i work there or something like that and i was like i don't work here man you know it was one of those things and then as i was we're picking up all the shit she spilled everywhere i was like what are you doing here you know, she was just like, Oh, I'm I'm here for you know, I I stay here right now and all this other stuff. And I remember afterwards like going going into the the car after after this lunch. It made it just it changed everything, you know. I went into the car and I just like I I cried, man. I was right? just like I've I've been so fucking mad. I she could have died. I had no clue. I, yep. because I made this shit all about me. Yep. And, and it was it was so crazy. And, and from that day, I was just like, I've got to figure out like, and me, I'm, I come from, and we, we say it a lot, I come from the camp of extreme ownership. I try to take ownership of every single situation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even about her and addiction anymore. It was about me and giving up on someone and just mm-hmm. me and being an asshole and all the all the shitty things that I said to other people because I was more worried about how it made us look because yeah. everyone knows the N'Jokos. Everyone, this, yeah. oh, your dad is this you know, great professor. Your mom does this. You do this. And you go but, out of your way to make him look like an anomaly. Exactly. Yeah. I went. That's exactly, that's perfect. I went out of my way to make it look like she was just some other person. And then, and I remember even after that moment, like, when people would, they'll be like, how's your sister? You know what I mean? Because I had done so much of that damage yeah. by being like, oh, she's a piece of shit or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I done so much of that that now I'm on the defensive. You know what I mean? So now anytime anyone asks about her, I start like, how is she whooping ass right now yeah. at, at she's life? She's killing it, right? She's killing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's that has been a, a process for me even now. Um, and you know, she, she lives in Atlanta, uh, with my older sister and, and, and like, I'm not even lying. She's fucking crushing it for, you know, she That's works right. with my sister and she's doing really well. But, um, that is, that is something that I even struggle to forgive myself with Yeah, is, is the fact that, and, and family is such a big thing for us. You know what I mean? Like knowing your name, knowing where you came from, being proud of our heritage mm-hmm. and and nowhere in that list of shit does it does it have throwing people in the trash that have you know yeah. even if they have the same last name or the same blood or anything like that yeah. as you. And so you know I I sort of get what you're I absolutely get what you mean when you uh, when you kind of when you had to throw them in the trash. You know it's yeah. just and and I think that um, and I'm proud of her. I'm one hundred percent proud of her now. You right. know what I mean? But. Uh, but it, having having that really
0: profound, like, drawing the line in the sand, face-off, yeah. and setting those boundaries yeah. is one of the most beneficial things that loved ones can do yeah. as far as an active bid to help somebody in recovery. Mm-hmm. Because if you're accommodating in any way, shape, form, or fashion, that addiction's going to take over. And yeah. I think you may proxy this statement, I don't know, but it's not them. Like when they're in active addiction it's their it's their illness, it's yeah. their symptoms that are activating the manipulation right. that chemical dependency facilitates behavior that is not native to the person that you know right mm-hmm. so I, I I guess just like in my own i guess in my own personal life um i i don't I, I've gotten past the uh taking it personal part. Mm way past the personal, taking it personal part. But I also know I can't be present and I can't be overly accessible unless it's directly related to making progress regarding recovery. Because at this point, any presence that I have other than in that capacity is going to just probably make this person feel justified that they're not exactly doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Unless we're at baseline where we're all in agreement that, hey, you can't drink anymore mm-hmm. or you can't use anymore, then I can't even be present. You know, even, yeah. if, even if this person is drinking in moderation in front of me and not completely just, you know, face down in the floor, still that being present, just that open line of communication and pretending like things are okay that's enabling to me at least. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of stuck at that point right now where, you know, people ask me, have you, have you talked to this person? Have you, you know, reached out to them? You know, I was at the hospital. I, I, I heard what the doctor said regarding, you know, you can't drink anymore. And, uh, now there's been a bit of backpedaling justification. Like, well, maybe I can drink a little bit. Yeah. And I was there, I was available until this rationale of maybe I can drink a little bit because if I show up I'm going to burn that motherfucker to the ground yep. so to yeah. speak my yep. presence is not going to be one of well let's get this figured yeah, out it's, it's, it's like all, what the hell are you Yeah doing? I'm I you you are going to end up hating me in this <sighs> moment if I show up and I say my piece yeah. so I've kind of stepped back from it I'm letting The rest of my family members address it in their way. And then if things get out of hand, then probably me and my older brother will have Mm -hmm. to be the assholes in the situation. Mm -hmm. But until then, stepping away, I mean, there's enormous utility in fucking stepping away. Not only for yourself, Mm -hmm. but to help the person that's
1: struggling as well. Yeah. Do you, are are you that way too? Like you wouldn't want me to even have a drink of alcohol or he or, won't at yeah. all
2: and I've even you know early on in his recovery, he well like when he got clean, his first clean date was actually on leap February ninth and yeah. shortly after that his sister had gotten married and we went to her wedding and they were serving alcohol and he went out and had a, some beers up mm-hmm. at the bar with his brother and I'm like, what are you doing? I thought you weren't supposed to be drinking and he's like, Oh, it's okay. You know, I can handle it. But he did not, he was not able to handle it. He could not, he knows himself. And he realized after having one, one wasn't going to be enough. And then it quickly became more than one. And the morning after he was talking to me about it, I'm like, I think you really need to call your sponsor and talk to them about it. And so now his new clean date is a different date Mm. because he had had that relapse. But he realized in that moment that he he can't just, differentiate between the narcotics and the alcohol yeah. he can't have any of them yeah. and i've even like as the years have gone by you know i like to kick back and have a drink every once in a while and I, i've never had a problem with it so it doesn't Warren, affect you seem me like you white girl wasted i i probably would i mean i'm a, I'm a complete <laughs> lightweight now so i mean but i've tried to you know even be like hey what if you can you ever get to the point where you can just kick back and have a beer or go to a wine tasting or anything like that? And I just don't know if he will ever be able to, and uh, that's okay. And I've, you know, I think he's okay with it. I'm okay with it now, but it's just one of those things. I'm like, well, you can't even like enjoy just like a craft beer if you just want to drink it to see what it tastes like. And he just, he can't, he's, it, it, it would just be a trigger. It would, it would I'm not saying it would launch him back into active addiction, but he knows his limits and it's all or nothing for him. So
1: when people talk about addiction now, obviously I think we had made a comment about it on, uh, maybe it was an episode with Tommy that, you know, you have one view on something and then when it happens to you, you have a different view on it. My question to you is when you hear people now talking about, someone else might be addicted or just talking about addiction at first Mm -hmm. are you do you sort of play a little bit more on the defensive these days now
2: yeah i mean you know you hear about all the the people who are getting upset because there's free narcan going around for Mm -hmm. you know or and they're like my
0: grandma got to pay for her insulin and then these addicts have to
2: bins for the the needles you know or a safe place to shoot up and they want to get they want to get so defensive nobody's trying to say that it's okay for people to go out and use drugs yeah but it's one of those things you want to have that narcan available because you never know when it's going to be somebody you love that needs it Mm. the narcan is there because if you look at fentanyl this this new drug that's up and coming just a teeny tiny speck is enough to kill you, mm-hmm. and if you if that ends up on a shopping cart in Walmart, and you've got your toddler in the seat, and they get that on their skin, and they start oh, to, it's
1: like that. It's like some topical. Oh it, yeah, dude, wow. it's, it's, it's crazy. It is one
0: of the most toxic any kind of uh, it's narcotics a and, thing. Yeah, it's a synthetic opioid. It's good
1: god,
2: it's crazy. I mean, and you just never know who's gonna need it. So I mean, and
0: and something that happens, they have these um, uh, fentanyl patches the patches yeah and the thing with the fentanyl patches is that um you know they're high po- it's a real high potency drug right mm-hmm. people will cut them up into quarters and sell them but wow. the way the drug is distributed across the patch itself is not uniform mm-hmm. it's meant for a single person to slap it on and then over that surface area it gets absorbed if you break it up into quarters, you might end up with one quarter that has an enormous portion of it yeah. on it or one that has very little and
1: people overdose. Really? Like it's, that? Yeah. It's insane. Holy crap. Have you been around or were you ever around when he had like overdosed or when he was on? What was that like?
2: Um, I didn't really know what it was and he was very good at hiding and I think you're when you're with somebody every day you don't automatically see a change, but when it's gradual over a period of time, it it becomes the new normal. So he would have issues with, like he used to smoke. And I remember I would come home and he'd be like passed out with a cigarette and like burning holes in the couch or in a blanket. Mm. And I'd be like, what is wrong with you? And he'd be like, I'm just so exhausted because one of the jobs that he had had before was like making the whiskey barrels for Jack Daniels. And it was very... Back-breaking, very hard and laboring work, and he's like, "I'm just exhausted. I'm just." But I'm like, "How can you fall asleep with a cigarette? And it's burning a hole in our couch. Like, how does this even happen? This just doesn't seem like it's normal." And you know, he would he would have um, body issues. He would have like having to take an enema, you know, because he couldn't get this stuff out of his system, and it was making other things effective. I mean there were there were periods of time where he he you know couldn't even like we couldn't even make love cuz he was having problems with getting an erection and it was like what's wrong with you there's yeah. something going on and I don't know what it is like I just don't know what's going on but like I said all these little things yeah. are like now I can I can see yeah. like all these little things have added up but I didn't really know when he was when he was high, I didn't get it because he was very good at hiding the fact that he was high. And, like, if he was passed out, you know, it was just, he he, he had excuses for everything. Mm. Like, where the money was going. Why he needed $200. Why, why did I have to wake up? Like, I we'd be in bed, like, on a typical morning because we both worked nights. And the first thing I would hear when I wake up, Lauren. And as soon as he said it, I knew we were going to have a fight because I'd be like, what? He'd be, like, he'd be like, I need some money. And I'm like, oh, what man. now? Yeah. What do you need it for now? Yeah. He'd be like, I need $200. I had this credit card bill and I, I have to pay it or they're going to whatever, send it to collections and they're going to mess up my credit. You know, there was an excuse for everything. And then we'd go back and forth for an hour, like fighting, like why I couldn't take this money out. No, I don't have enough money for that. You can't do that. And yeah. then eventually manipulating me into going to the bank and him taking it and then running off to wherever. I'm like, well, you need to bring me a receipt for this. If you're Mm -hmm. making a credit card payment, I need to have a receipt. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll bring it to you. And then what happens? He doesn't bring it to me. I'm like, you know, why couldn't you do this? Mm -hmm. Oh, I dropped it or I lost it. I'm like, you literally went there and back. What do you mean you lost it? Yeah. Just an excuse for everything.
1: There was, there was one story that he told, um, when he when he started going to the to the methadone clinic and yeah. everything like that uh, he had told you that um, he's he started a paper route. Yeah. Did you actually believe that?
2: I did. I mean, really? but okay. he but he did that for like a year and a half. I mean, it was a long time, but I never saw any of that income. I never saw it. He told me he was. I mean, he probably told me he was paying off something or helping his mom with something or you know. I never saw any of that, but I mean, I didn't have a reason not to believe that that's what he was doing because I didn't know. I just didn't know.
1: Did you get any sort of feedback from friends and family telling you like, hey, get rid of this motherfucker? No. We lived in Louisville at the time, so Uh.
2: and all my family lived here at the time. And I mean, there was one instance when we were both working at the same restaurant while we were uh, still... I think we were probably engaged at the time. Pro tip, and, everyone:
1: don't ever work with <laughs> your spouse.
2: <laughs> well, we weren't married at oh, the time. Okay. That's where we met. I think we were engaged, but um, I was hanging out at a. It was during the summer, and I had we had these uh, these girls that I worked with, and one of them had a pool, so we were at her house, you know, just enjoying like a like a day, like kind of like today when it's so humid outside, all you want to do is cool off, and one of them had told me. Hey, he's been buying, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it, I think it was pills, but I'm not sure what type of pills it was. But they told me he had actually been purchasing pills from somebody else that we worked with. And I got really mad at him and I confronted him about it. And of course he lied and he said, Oh no, she's lying. She just doesn't like me or whatever he told me, you know? And then I believed him because I didn't have a reason not to at that point.
1: What's the trust like right now?
2: It's great right now, but we've... But we had to, that was a process that took several years to build. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It was him making his promise to go to meetings, to talk to his sponsor, to work the steps, and then him proving to me, you know, not dipping into the bank account when he, you know, because there was a long time before I would actually put him back on our mutual bank account. Mm -hmm. For a long time, it was just my name, and he would have to, if he needed anything, we'd have to have a serious talk because of all the problems we'd had those really? first five
1: years. Has uh, did religion and I, I just knowing you all the, your family's background does did religion play a part in in any of this stuff?
2: Not really, not really. As far as
1: like trying to make it work or or anything or no,
2: I mean it really didn't. I mean I know everybody's got their own spirituality and. But I'm not overly spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think I would like to be more, but it's just kind of over time, I think it's sort of diminished a little
1: bit. Sure. Cause, uh, and I asked that because Tommy had said his God is the great outdoors is what, you know, yeah. his thing and feeling the wind. And yeah. so His yeah. higher power. Yeah, his higher yeah. power. So what I was, I was going to ask you, like, what is that higher power for you? Because I believe, again, that when you – as as a family member or anything like that, I feel like we go through a recovery mm-hmm. process as well. So I was going to ask like what that looks like for you.
2: It it just, it wasn't really about God and it wasn't really about um, any of that. I mean, I'm I'm sure I prayed probably some, but I've, I don't know. I don't really, I don't pray a whole lot. I just, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those personal things that Sometimes I think it works and sometimes I just don't know if it does or not. So, I mean, that didn't really have anything or it may have had something to do with it, but it wasn't what I was focused on. It was more about us having communication with each other, you know, him working the steps, him going through everything and, you know, us building our partnership back. And,
0: uh, and, and what I've found, and this is just my own anecdotal experience working in recovery and working with different populations as a social worker, but in a in general tends to have an environment where your higher power, it's readily acceptable that your higher power is some sort of abstraction mm. and not like a personified Deity. yeah like a, a supreme being mm-hmm. i find with a lot of na folks they tend to have a higher power that's a little bit it's again it's just not god it's some abstraction it's the great outdoors i mean i you know i would take people in and sit in on the meetings and they would even say we don't care if a doorknob is your higher power mm-hmm. whereas I have noticed with AA it is a more conventional as far as the social structure, it's more conventionally relational to God. Even though it's not don't get me wrong, it's not you're not obligated to have, you know, a Christian God as your higher power. The NA folks tend to have a little bit more of a secular view on recovery, but they still utilize that higher power, mm. which I think is a beautiful thing and it, it correlates enormously with this extreme accountability thing because you know, in the absence of us holding ourselves accountable, what else is there? Yeah. So, um, and and if if you're in active addiction, that's obviously one of the biggest things that you joust with is holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. So, looking at something greater than yourself, and you know, we were just talking about on this last episode, the faith episode, the utility in being made to feel small. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely
0: so I think when people get wrapped up in their own head and when you get wrapped up in your own head and you've got your blinders on, I think it's quite easy to lose yourself and lose track of who you are and to add substances on top of that. I think it just kind
1: of snowballs. Yeah. You know, everyone or a lot of people like to think that in, in marriages or in relationships, you know, obviously the, the communication is, is obviously it's a big thing. It's very important, but do you, feel or did you have problems or did you at least struggle with the fact that Tommy had to communicate with someone else to be able to go through all this? Like you kind of had to be on the outside or I know you willingly put yourself on the outside of it, but mm-hmm. did you sk- no. struggle with that at all?
2: No. I mean, because when he's got a sponsor and he's got a whole group of people who know exactly what he's going through, they're way better qualified to talk those things out through than me. Cause like I said before, I've never been an active addiction I don't know anything about it aside from what I've learned, you know, being married to him. Yeah. There's no way that I could ever, you know, have some of the conversations that he's had with other people because I don't understand what it's like to not be able to put something down, to have something that has absolute control over your life to where your life is completely unmanageable because of it. I don't know what that's like.
1: Did you ever go to therapy just for you?
2: I... When we first separated, I did go to a couple of counseling sessions because I just didn't know what to do and I had to talk to somebody. But there, re- I, I didn't really get a whole lot out of them. I only went to maybe two, and then I was just kind of tired of talking to the woman. I mean, maybe it was because I hadn't found the right person. It yeah. was, it was. Free through my work And I mean after You think there
1: was that Pride issue there too Where you didn't want people To know that you were I
2: mean Not necessarily I mean I, I, It may have helped A little bit But
1: and, and, uh, let's, and we have to
0: make The allowance Even though we're Very pro-therapy Therapy isn't for Everybody It's not too, for everyone
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah It's not for everyone
2: I mean It would have probably Helped more Had I actually You know Sought out somebody And talked to them On a regular basis But I mean I think I've I think I've been all right <laughs> without yeah. having to, to seek professional help. Not that everybody would be. And, you know, if you need it, obviously seek it. But, yeah. um, I mean, we've been able to work through things together. And I, I haven't felt the need to seek any outside source. So,
1: Do you, or could you, and maybe I asked this in a, in a different way before, but could you describe the dynamics of your marriage now?
2: I mean, we have a very trusting relationship now. And he's had a steady job for several years now at the same place, and he's got a very core group of people that you know. He's probably more popular than I am, and I've lived here in town a lot longer. <laughs> but like, what's your, what's your he name knows name? people. Every time we go somewhere, hey, he knows. Yeah. Hey, Tommy, you know, always. Yeah, and um, and we we have open communication now, as before it was it was very chaotic and it was it was not an open relationship it wasn't open and honest and now if he's having an issue or if he's struggling with something i feel like that he can come to me and i feel like i can go to him and you know because we've we've uh, we've gone through so much together and like i said trying to make it work and we've been able to so far not gone
0: yeah
1: yeah <laughs> Um how's but, your relationship with yourself?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I I guess nobody's ever asked me that before. I've never yeah. really thought about it. It's pretty good.
1: Yeah. You know, Take so. time for yourself and
2: Yeah, I try. Yeah. It's kinda hard when you've got kids and so many you're being pulled in so many different directions with work and yeah. you know, socially and
1: you know, he said that, um I believe he said it on the episode or maybe he and I were just talking about it, that he goes and, and speaks at different things. Do you ever go with them? Or what's that like seeing other people sort of react to him and his story? Um,
2: I have listened to a speech that he did. Um, I've gone to a couple of his celebrations, which in our Narcotics Anonymous, whenever they have a certain year, you know, if it's like one year, two year, you know, an annual, if if they've made it through recovery and continued to be um, in non-active addiction, then they celebrate that. So I've gone to a couple of those, but normally when it celebrates him, he does not actually speak at those. Somebody else speaks. So I've gone to a few of those, but I've never really heard him speak live. I mean, I would love to be able to hear it, um, live, but I've heard a recording of it before. And he talks, he talks mostly not about the past, but about how, Narcotics Anonymous has helped him through recovery and the changes and, you know, because that's what it's about. It's about giving people hope. It's not about looking back at the past, but about moving forward and how it can help them in their recovery.
1: Sure. What about the, what about your daughters? How is, they don't, they didn't know anything about anything, right? Oh
2: no. Well, they're still so young. I mean, okay. how old are they? They're Soon to be seven and four. Oh, So they're very young. Yeah. So, but I know one of these days we'll have to have that conversation because when they get to the point to where they may want to experiment with drugs and alcohol, because all teenagers go through that, I know that we're going to have to have a very important and very open conversation with them about the dangers of that because his father was an alcoholic Mm. and now he's had active addiction and it makes me worried that they may have that gene that they could potentially get involved in that, you know, even though they obviously probably wouldn't be meaning to, but it just, you know, they may have that in their genetics. So I think, you know, we've talked about how, yes, we're going to have to have this conversation one day with them Mm -hmm. when they're old enough to understand it.
1: Does he have something that like, that you feel is sort of like replaced that addiction. And and here's the example. So I've seen for a lot of people when they quit doing drugs, right? Sometimes something, some other activity takes mm-hmm. its place, even like a, a good activity. Right. right. So one thing, for example, my little sister, she goes to like, she will lose her mind if she can't go to church on Sunday. Oh, like that's, that's the thing, you know? And uh, and I and I want to have her on. You know, I was talking to my mom about this. Like, she'll go and like, and I think it's great being proactive. But one of the yeah. things she'll do, she'll go and get uh, a drug test like twice a week, like voluntarily goes and gets one done. Right. Um. But Is one it of the just for the hell of it. Yeah. Or? Just oh. for the hell of it. Yeah. And so, and it's one of those questions. I I mean, I just wanted to know. Like, do you think that there's something? Like, what's an activity, if that even exists, that he's doing that that you could be like, oh, this is taking the place of the drug or whatever? Yeah, I
2: think for a while it was actually reading. He had never been a big reader. And he had never been um, real academically active in high school. And he was, he was always like a party animal. And, yeah. You know, I don't think the grades were that important to him. But it was like in the beginning... He would read a lot. He would buy books a lot. Different authors, or uh, or one particular author, he'd try to get like as many books as possible really? and read. So that was a Shit's good thing. Um, and uh, I mean, he's you know he smoked for a while, but thankfully he's quit that, and he he does the vape now a little bit and some of the chewing tobacco. Do you but make
1: fun of him for vaping?
2: I mean, he's not like, he's not like making smoke clouds or smoke rings or anything, you know, or fruity flavors. I mean, he's got fruity it, flavors. He, he's got it just like, for, bam, smell this grape. for occasion, you know, sometimes yeah. I think he may miss, you know, having that, that smoking. But yeah.
1: Uh,
2: other than that, no, I mean.
1: Do you feel like you're missing out on some stuff? Like when he had said that on your, I think it was your 10 year anniversary, you asked him like, oh, can I get a, you know, a little bit of this wine and stuff like that? Did yeah. you feel guilty no, I
2: never I never really did. Yeah. I mean, I felt nervous about keeping it in the house because oh, is this going to trigger him? Is he going to want this? But we've gotten to that point where no, I mean, I can I keep the alcohol in the house, you know, if I want to have a drink occasionally and it's it's never been an issue. I mean, it's just not been one. He's he's got that control now that it's not an issue. If it was, I wouldn't keep it in the house. Sure. So but no. he won't go out because I've asked him before, like, if he was in town and I was at home, I'd be like, man, I really, can you just stop at the store and just get me, like, a six-pack? I He's just like, want a nope. veg job. And he won't do it. He yeah. will not do it.
1: You, you guys still live out in the country, right? Yeah, we still live out in the sticks. I think sticks. they just made the country wet now. So <laughs> It yeah. was
2: never dry. Huh? <laughs> it was it never was. dry. <laughs> really? I thought no. they had that on lockdown for the no, gas stations no. and
1: stuff like that.
2: I think Kentucky used to have that where you couldn't purchase alcohol till after 12 or one on a Sunday I don't know if they still have that or not yeah <laughs> yeah
1: cool so where do you sort of see things going in the next couple of years just your relationship just yourself growth all that
2: I mean the sky's the limit I hope I mean yeah. everything's been very very good especially when we look back and look at the chaos that our life was before this um, you know we we've got a great relationship now and steady jobs and he's about to finish with his degree and, you know, get an even better job. And, you know, we've got our little family and I mean, I, I obviously hope for the best, you know, you never know what life will throw at you, but I mean, with
1: this, I mean, but with the stuff that you've been through, I'd say that you're a lot more prepared this time.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like, you know, after going what we went through, it's just solidified, Everything and we still want to be together. So, yeah.
0: and it maybe makes you appreciate it a little bit more. It really knowing, does. Knowing that, you know, how bad things could potentially be.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's no saying that something bad won't happen and a relapse won't ever happen. I mean, hopefully that won't, but I mean, you know, we're just kind of, I guess we would go through with it, you know, yeah. work through it. Hopefully.
1: I think what's his, uh, uh, what's, uh, God, our last guest? Adam short Adam, Adam Short. And I'm the piece of shit because he was my guest. <laughs> uh-huh. And he was dressed like you. And you, we were dressed and you as pronounced
0: us. his name right the first try. Yeah, I'm such a
1: piece of shit. Yeah, you but, are such uh, piece shit. Piece shit. Um, well, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. I had something really good. You a motherfucking lie. I'm I know. <laughs> no, I really, oh. Kalu just lies. No, I don't. I tell the <laughs> truth all the time. Um, did you? <laughs> this one's kind of funny. Um, can you can you tell Tommy he's wrong about the whole ho ho things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was pretty jacked up. He he's straight said. to his wife. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like him, right? Huh? No, he said that I told him what would it be like if if someone who was addicted to eating would come into. To his NA meetings. And, and, and he was like,
0: you never suck dick for ho Yeah. you yeah, yeah. never suck dick for ho <laughs> And
1: I was like, well, I don't know. Calluisman. <laughs> that shit was absolutely hilarious. But do you, can you give us a message? Give us something that I, you know, other people who are going through the same thing could, can learn. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot more people in our positions than, than we realize. Um, and there's so many people that are keeping this kind of stuff out in the dark, right. or out in—you know what know—I'm saying, keeping a lot of this stuff in the dark. And we—I know that you and I aren't the only people that suffer from the whole pride thing, and right. and and having to um, try and make things look good. And we we had a, a an episode sort of. I was hoping that this would be a, a thing that we, we had talked about on the sins of our fathers episode where we talked about like generational problems and ideas and things like that that we carry over from mm-hmm. um, from previous generations. But uh, well, this leads into another question I want to ask you is how do you think you're going to do things different with your kids?
2: Well, I mean, we're we're like everybody else. We're just doing the best we can. And yeah, building every, an airplane while flying. Every right? day does not, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't always feel like I'm doing a good enough job and I get short with the kids and, you know, just life can be chaotic in that sense as well. But it's just, I guess when we, when they're old enough to understand and we can have a mature conversation with them about, The dangers, not just that. Don't do drugs; they're bad for you. Like this is what can happen to your life. This is where it can get. Um, I think.
1: Do you think you you should also talk about? I mean, the fun, but also the dangers. Yeah. Like because there are there are if some people can have a damn good time with them. Yeah. and some people, it's just too much, it's one of those too much of a good thing type of thing, you know. I just talks. want
2: them to know that there's a history in our family of that on their on their dad's side. And that they need to be prepared that it may be more than they can handle or that they think they can handle. Mm. And I don't, I mean, I know they're going to want to experiment probably. And it's just natural to want to to do those things, but I want them to be prepared to know that there is that potential for the danger of you know, that fine line between experimenting and then all of a sudden, whoa, yeah, yeah, you're way you're way farther than control. you ever imagined you would be. Sure.
1: So sorry to to cut, you know, change That's direction. Fine. But I wanna know, like give give us a message. Give give the people, the yeah. listeners something that they can take with them.
2: I just I mean, if you think something's going on. Your gut instincts are usually right, even if you don't know what it is. It's just, it's just hard when the person that you love is going through something like that, but they have to be able to help themselves, and you can't fix them. As much as you would want to or try to, there's nothing that you can do that's going to help them until they actually want to help themselves. But if they take that opportunity and they do want the help, just be supportive of them, you know, just... It, it affects so many people, and I think it's way more than any of us realize. Mm. And it's just... It's such a... It's such a horrible, horrible disease. And there's people that are dying every day from it. It's just so... It's so tragic. It's, yeah. it's like a modern-day tragedy. It really is. All yeah. these different man-made drugs, and, and they're getting you know these uh, these health facilities the the methadone clinics you know the suboxons they're they're just
0: they figured out a way to profit off of diseases they have figured out a, a
2: way to profit off it you're exactly right and they're they're reaping so much money off of these poor people it's just it's crazy but i mean i would say that i mean our story is unique to us and other people's stories are unique to them but we there is hope if you're going through something like this and all you need to do is just reach out and get some help. Yeah. You know, but like I said, the person who's struggling with the addiction has to help themselves before you can help them. Yeah. So,
1: well, good. Do we have any shameless shout outs? Always like a
0: broken record. We got a shameless shout out to our boy Tyler Young at grade eight performance. Yeah. As I always say, he's uh he's got a pretty long list of people that are, Continually interested in signing on in one capacity or another, but uh, it, it's worth a shot to give him a shout. He may yeah. be able to squeeze you in somewhere, and if not, he does st- he does programs for people. He does stuff online. Yeah. Um.
1: Look him up. Check him out. He knows what he's doing and he cares. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to my boy JP at uh, Hefty Lefty Clubworks. Um. They will get your shit right. Straight up, uh, and by shit I mean your golf clubs. Uh, <laughs> he does. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but he uh, runs a meme fade. He, he run, yeah, he, yeah, no, but uh, he uh, he does custom work. Uh, I believe he does do like club repair, all sorts of stuff. He is. Uh, I think they're called clubsmiths. I mean, that's what he is, and so uh, he's the man for taking care of all of your stuff there. Uh, Ryan Hines. Uh, yep, I that, was about to say Ryan. Congratulations Hines. to Ryan. And he he just, just bought. Yeah, got got a new house and everything like that, and so that's a and get a supplement i still take it oxology labs uh ceo underscore oxology labs on on instagram uh if you want to feel like you can lift a planet or uh fight god hand to hand yeah take his take his workout supplements Yeah, uh, you'll walk in the gym and uh, god fight yeah yeah you'll be that's ready to whoop some ass too. <laughs> god fight yeah uh brandon do you have any shameless shout outs uh, I nope. Was gonna say cool. Ryan. sounds was good. Any, <laughs> I'm just joking. Do you have any more shout-outs? Yeah, yeah. Anyone sh- you want to shout out?
2: I just want Kalou to know that he can eat as many ho hos as he Thank wants. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Finally, someone who understands me. There's I just no want... more dances for him. Kalou. Yeah, I, I want ho hos. Shake
0: it. I will shake it. I'll twerk He's after this He's crying episode. and his mascara's running. <laughs> <and just throwing laughs> snack I cakes just at him. And Spud.
1: <laughs> Spud for all the fat kids that get those extra mashed potatoes in the spud. lunch line. Yes, absolutely spud. We,
0: we got also uh we can't forget about uh Josh Biggs. Yes. Fuel nutrition. Fuel
1: nutrition and I told you he's doing MMA now. Yes. Yeah, he tore his bicep, but I still wouldn't want to get hit by him. So no there's that. Well no. Yeah. I wouldn't it, want to get is hit he by a down it. John Jones. I don't. He'll take down whoever he wants. This dude's ginormous. I but, mean, he's uh, awesome.
0: Shout out to him. Shout out to Fuel Nutrition. Bartley also, Weaver. Yeah, yeah we got, my got boy Bartley. Oh yeah, you got, know Bartley. I know him. Shout yeah. out Bartley Weaver, one of the nicest guys on the planet. Yes. Um. He when he when he talks, he says what he means, and yep. otherwise, he keeps his mouth shut. Yeah, so, pretty much. But one of the nicest dudes. One of the most sincere human beings. Uh,
1: he's. I mean, doing big things, yes, man. He is.
2: And he will eat you under the table for Yeah,
1: days. absolutely. <laughs> I was watching a uh, a uh, competitive eating thing, and I was like, yeah, I can. No, I couldn't I do that. Know. After I see the stuff Barley eats, I was like, there's no way.
0: I
2: don't yeah. know where he puts it.
1: Shit, I don't know. He works out like one, a machine. He's got so. one of
0: them Kobayashi stomachs to yeah. stand
1: up. Yeah, he can eat 10,000 hot dogs or whatever. Um, all right, guys, so. Hopefully you all found some value in this episode. I'm so 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 thankful that you were able to come on. Thank you Seriously, so Lauren, much for like, having me. Yeah, this it. is this is just something that I've been very. I feel like it's it feels a little bit like therapy to it me does. too. Um, it's it makes me want to like reach out to my. I, I eventually want to have my sister on whenever she's in town and just sort of put that whole thing mm-hmm. through the grinder. And I actually might have you guys not be in the episode. It may just be a <laughs> actually.
0: We have to be in the episode, um, and we somebody else has to be moderating. You yeah, can't, you're you won't right. be able to see the force yeah, for the yeah, trees, would,
1: dog. You're right. Actually, you're right. So
0: you got to be a guest essentially. Yeah. 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 And how we're we gonna get all the embarrassing stuff?
1: Huh? How oh we, God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. I guess I'll have to learn to give up control. But yep. Yep. Whatever. Um, good for you. <laughs> I guess so. We'll call the episode that. <laughs> yeah. Blue giving up control. No. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's you know I I really value and I and I have for years. And so I'm I'm so thankful that you've been able to come out here and just and talk. And uh, I really value Tommy as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's one of the he's one of my my friends that I'm actually OK with, like, talking on the phone with him longer than six minutes. <laughs> right. Um, he's a entertaining lot. as shit. He really like, he is. He is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I literally have two friends that will call me and they'll talk on the phone for like 30 minutes. It's like. It's like a it's like a lost art being able to talk on the phone because like everything can be. She's like (laughs) not.
2: He'll be like, I'll be walking outside and he'll be on the phone and he'll be like, "Here, say hi to so and so," and I'll be like, "Huh? Who are they?" Yep. And I'm like, I don't feel like it. I don't want to say hi. I'm trying to go to. I'm just trying to go to my car to get something out, and he wants me to talk to somebody I've never even met. Exactly. And then it's just downhill from there. You know,
1: one. It was. It was maybe about two months ago or so. I was uh, chilling out at the house irresponsibly playing video games and so I should have been being a husband and stuff like that. Uh, he, he 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 calls me and he was like "Kalu, I got a question. You know and Tommy's tip. It was more like hey Kalu, I got a question. And I was just like <laughs> alright. He's like Carson Wentz. And I was like here we fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to talk football for like 20 something yeah. minutes. And he was. No, no first thing he does he goes "Kalu," And I was like yeah. And he's like so-and-so and And the other guy's like yeah and he's like we're about to talk about Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles (laughs) and we literally me and this dude I'd never talked to you know and and here's Tommy being the moderator Uh. on the on the thing it was like a sports show and I was like I haven't done a three way a three-way phone (laughs) call hello you filthy bitch (laughs) I haven't haven't done a three-way phone call (laughs) in, <laughs> I mean, I, I was probably in high school the last time I, I had a three-way phone Sloosie. call. I know. You, I'm a little sloot. You are My a slooty boot. <laughs> but uh, it was so hilarious having that conversation. I was like, only Tommy. Oh. Only Tommy would want to do something like this. And so I, I truly value both of you. So thank you thank all you. so much for, for coming on. Yeah, and appreciate I definitely want to be able to have you on for just a, if there's any other thing that you want to talk yeah. about, just life in general. Uh, we'd love to have you back on. So with that, guys, follow us on Instagram at the Salumas podcast Uh, on Facebook. uh, It's just the Salumas. Go to our website, www.thesalumas.com ad slash podcast. If you want to stream everything on there. Um, Yeah. Buy some of our merch. We've got it on the website as buy, well. Buy, yeah, hats, buy the hats. Yeah, buy the hats, client. yeah. And I I totally screwed mine up. I got, like, mud and shit all over it. So I'm going to have to buy another one. When he was
0: hitting some gnarly jumps out there in the woods. No, I was
1: working on my pool like a bitch. And i like, here's the thing. I'll, I'll get off of work. And I was then, stepping out of my Rolls Royce. I was stepping <laughs> out of my Rolls Royce. My butler was taking a break. <laughs> and I was like, Winston, why are you? No, no, no. So I, I step i literally will go i'll be in work clothes and i'll go and like work on the pool and work clothes i just don't care what i'm wearing that being said i've ruined like four pairs of shoes and i also ruined my overcome hat so i was pretty sad about that um so now there's just a, a bunch of i literally am wearing these right now I have a pair of Team Jordans that are just trashy and they got yeah, blood
0: on them. Yeah, is dressed like somebody's auntie right there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, can't dress, I I got a <laughs> hairnet <laughs> and shit like yes, that. Motherfuckers yeah. got leggings I'm wearing flip flops and socks. <laughs> I am somebody's auntie. <laughs> well, it's, it's either the auntie or it's me dressed like Barack Obama, so you gotta have one or the other.
0: I'm taking the kids to the aquarium. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my God. All right, guys, thank you all so much for your time and attention. If you have any questions, hit us up, and I believe we're out. Peace.